This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine, and this is episode 126. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. This week, I'm finding out about the wonderful world of beekeeping as I spend an afternoon with Chris Barnes from the Black Bee Honey Company. We find out all about the journey of honey from flower nectar to finished jar and how these fascinating little creatures perform a huge amount of complex tasks to make it happen. It's a really lovely story, so let's have a listen. So not many people would swap a brilliant career in graphic design for beekeeping, but today's podcast guest has done just that. Welcome Chris Bonds. Hello. From the Black Bees Honey Company. Um, and I've come down to where the magic happens, just near Woodford. And we've spent the morning looking at the beehives. Uh, it's, it's an incredible setup. We've got, how many beehives have you got at the minute? There's 18 here. 18, moment, yeah. With bees um, in them. <laughs> and I've just, um, I've had my bee suit on. I don't know, what, what's the official name for it? I think it's just called a bee suit. <laughs> Which was great. Um, I've held a, a, a little... Um, frame. A little frame. Frame of bees. <laughs> and I've tasted some honey, so I've had a brilliant morning. So just to start, Chris... Um, why did you do such a dramatic change in jobs? I mean, what, what prompted it? Well, I've always liked nature. Yeah. I've always liked wildlife. And being a, being a designer at a desk five days a week, yeah. eight hours a day, got a bit boring. So my weekends would always be off in the countryside. And then I did a bit of volunteering at London Zoo, right. blah, blah, blah. And then at some point about, what was it, eight, nine years ago, I quit my job. I was working in advertising, which was even worse than just normal <laughs> graphic design. Quit that job and I went travelling and I got... Um, I decided to try something new when I was in New Zealand. I got mm-hmm. a job as a beekeeper over there. And how, do you, loved it. how do you apply for a job as a beekeeper? Um, <laughs> well, I think I was in Malaysia at the time. I just emailed every, Googled Beekeepers New Zealand, emailed right. everyone I could find. And one guy replied saying, yeah, we need some help and gave me so a what, job. Like, what was the fascination with bees over... A few years before that, a New Zealand friend of ours was in yeah. the, another designer... For his birthday, we took him on a beekeeping course. Oh, Me and my right. business partner, Paul, yeah. we took him, this guy, Matt, on a beekeeping course. And we loved it, me and Paul. And then we went on another couple of courses. Yeah. And this, we enjoyed it, but it sort of, like, petered out. And it just stuck in my mind that I'd like to try that again. Yeah. And, yeah, when I got that job in New Zealand, it was it was hard work. It is hard work. It's a lot of heavy lifting and sweating yeah. and getting stung <laughs> and um, on your feet all day. But it's just so magical yeah. with being with the bees I love it what was the scale of the operation out like that was a pretty big um, yeah it was quite big but they did they, they we basically copied them after as we came back to London they rented oh, right. beehives so they put hives in oh, people's okay. gardens and yeah. stuff and they managed them but they were all over Auckland so um, I can't even remember how many locations they had yeah. let's say they had 50 customers so they were quite spread out so what like what would be involved in renting and managing so you would you'd put you'd install the beehive in the garden show someone how to use it and then what no so them? so we used to the company we ended up setting up um, our little strap line was beekeeping the easy way <laughs> so we we turn <laughs> up got, with got to have a strap line we got to have a strap line yeah. um, we turn up with the boxes yeah empty boxes and then we turn up with the bees put the bees in the boxes yeah and then we come and look after them once a week come and check on them once a week so we okay. do that we manage the beehives also the people didn't poke around no and, well we and... encouraged our customers to join in yeah so we tell them you know get a bee suit and when we're there we'll come explain to you what we're yeah, doing what and we're doing. Yeah. you know you're gonna learn about beekeeping yeah there were very few people that actually took us up on that offer sadly but a couple did um 
But yeah, we did all the work essentially, and yeah. they it's armchair beekeeping, you could call it. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the end of the season, when we harvested the honey, we gave them a percentage, and then we sold the rest. Oh, I see. And they just had the nice thing of having a, a yeah. beehive in their garden. Yeah. So it was it was some some there was some corporations, some companies that rented beehives, and it was a maybe a a bit of um, sort of team building for the staff right. or it was a bit of greening for their building, you know, doing something that's yeah. uh, greenwashing, I think they call it. Um, <laughs> and then there was a few people that we had in their back gardens. Like it started off with a friend of ours. We put some on, on her sort of uh, tiny balcony. Yeah. Um, then another friend heard about it. We put them in their garden and we looked after them and it slowly grew until corporations until and companies... became a business. It was a thing, yeah. Um, and we had about, I don't know, 12 locations yeah. at some point. So fast forward to now, and you're now kind of you're, you've got various different sites, haven't you? That you're um, gathering your honey from. Yeah. So that so the high rental thing wasn't scalable. Basically, no. we realised that we weren't making any money at all, and we were okay. making the little bit of money we were making was from honey rather than the rental. So we sort of got rid of the rental mm. and focused on the honey. But to, to scale up in London was impossible. So right. rather than doing all the work ourselves. We still have London honey from our hives that I look after, yeah. but we also buy in honey off other bee farmers because right. we can't produce enough. So we we buy it, and you know we go to people we've known for years, go and go to their apiary, taste the honey if it's amazing. Then we mm. offer, can we buy it off you? Stick it in a jar yeah. and sell it as black bee honey. Lovely. <laughs> and you've got three different types, I think, haven't you? London. Um, these are the regular ones. A summer honey. Um, which is from where, what, what area is that from? The it's from honey? Somerset, Exmoor. Somerset, Exmoor, and then Heather Honey, which is it's also from Exmoor. Exmoor as well. Yeah. Um, so, tell us, um, tell us about the kind of the the season of like beekeeping, because you were saying that you actually, with your beehives, only do one harvest a year. Yeah. So, so from the beginning of the year, what, how, does it, how does it kind of pan out in terms of harvesting? Well, the bees sort of start waking up, get more active around April time, March, April. Right. And that's when the first flowers are out that they're, they're, they're sort of foraging on. They can start gathering nectar then and storing it in the hives. And some beekeepers, like the guy we buy... Uh, the, the summer honey off he might make a, a spring crop there might be so much uh, nectar in, oh, around okay, there's so many summer, flowers yeah, around yeah. that he, his bees have made a load of honey and he might get some get a crop of honey off in the spring mm. but in London we le- there's not like loads of oilseed rape like there is in the countryside for instance yeah. um, so we just leave the bees alone and do and it's only in sort of July end of July August time we do a harvest after the mm. whole summer's happened really yeah and then after that, it's it's just shut down for the winter and yeah. Well, like right now, they're they're foraging on ivy. There's ivies yeah. in bloom, so that's a good nectar source for them, and one of the last ones of the year. But we don't take that. Yeah. We we leave that for the bees. But yeah, once once we've done the main harvest, whatever extra nectar they've gathered yeah. and turned into honey, we leave it for them so yeah. they can get through the winter. Could you explain? Because um, you explained it to me just before when we were there, kind of how how it happens. Like you know the. The, how the hive produces the honey and why they produce it and you know what they're yeah. actually doing when they're when yeah. they're doing that well so the bees on mass go out and visit flowers and yeah. get nectar out and they store it in their honey stomachs and then <laughs> is that a separate to the other st- yeah. stomach it is and they, yeah and they fly back to the hive <laughs> yeah and they regurgitate that honey and give it to another bee and then that bee will put it into one of the honeycomb cells inside the hive until it and they'll keep on regurgitating it back and mm. forth between each other before they do that and they'll 
flap their wings and reduce the water content until it's down to about 20% or less. That's when the bees deem it to be honey. Yeah. And then when that cell is full, they produce wax from glands on their stomachs. Yeah. And then they'll seal the top of the cell with that wax and they store that for their food source over winter. So basically, they're, yeah, they're storing up food for winter. If, yeah. if we weren't taking it from them, that would, that would just be them storing yeah. it. And, and some like these bees we've got here, they're sort of, they're, they've been bred to be good honey producers. So yeah. if we left these alone, they'd have about 10 boxes of honey on each hive, which really? is way more than they need. Yeah. You know, at the moment, the most... They've, they've got they've got more than they need now yeah. already. We've left loads for them this year because it's been yeah. such a good year. So it's quite an organic process. You're not like taking anything away that they need. You're just no. you're just giving them more space to make more honey, yeah. and then like reaping the honey. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. leaving them with the honey so, that so they the, need. There's a box where the queen lives and all the babies yeah. live, and that's sacred. We never touch that. So yeah. whatever honey's in there, they get to keep. It's the extra boxes that are called supers we put on top that the bees fill up, and we can take those oh, away right. and harvest those, yeah. and even. Um, again, I say, because this year's been so good, some of those boxes we've left for them to have over winter because yeah. they've made so much. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit more about the role of the queen, the queen bee, and what she does? What's her... She's the boss. Yeah. <laughs> she's the boss. Because without her, they wouldn't be a hive, would they? No, so she's, she's slightly different to the... So the, the colony's made up of one queen, and then about 90% of them are worker bees, female bees and then 10% roughly are male bees. Right yeah. now there's no male bees in there at all because right. they've been booted out. So it's just all totally female <laughs> do they just household. they booted out and die basically? Or do they just go and yeah, live somewhere else? Yeah, they get else? sort of ushered out the hive. <laughs> well, they, they've gone off flying around and they're not let back in. Right. Because and I, I'm pretty sure that the, the females feed the males so they can't even feed themselves. So without being oh, looked God. after, they're just... It's brutal. Yeah, it's a brutal world in there. <laughs> so now, yeah, now at the moment they're fully female households. Um, the queen is the boss, the yeah. matriarch. She lays all the eggs that produce the bees. So without her, there wouldn't be any offspring and there wouldn't be any workers, there wouldn't be a colony. She lays all the eggs yeah. for the bees? Yeah, yeah. So she... nobody else produces eggs, no. just her? Well, I could go into some boring right. particulars <laughs> when the workers, yeah, yeah. the workers can lay eggs. But essentially the queen is the one that's... Yeah. Oh, I didn't realise that she was responsible yeah, yeah, for yeah. like Yeah, yeah, yeah. She can lay about 2,000 a day. 2,000? Yeah. And you were saying there's this quite fascinating thing where she can lay an egg and depending on what you feed the egg, it can become another queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if she lays an unfertilised egg, I'm pretty sure, it becomes a male bee. A fertilised egg becomes a female bee. Mm. And then the worker bees that feed the eggs that become the larvae, they can decide to change that female egg into a queen by what they feed it. So if they feed it um, royal jelly from a gland on their head that it'll turn that um that larvae into a queen it's It's like game of thrones or something (laughs) it's so it's pretty bad yeah so how many um bees have you got in each hive that you have here um at the height of summer there's about fifty thousand in each colony right now well some of them are still quite big because it's still quite warm this time time of year but um they go down to about 10 15,000 in the winter And, and is that in each of those boxes yeah. that we're looking at, yeah, they're like exactly. piles of boxes. Yeah. That's a lot. I know, yeah. Wow. Millions, millions at the height of summer, there would be. So, what are the pitfalls of beekeeping? I mean, I read about this thing called like swarming, where the, the bees leave the hive or something because they. Yeah. So, swarming is what bees do naturally to reproduce. So, 
for whatever reason, the female bees will make queen cells to make a new queen. Yeah. There will already be a queen in there, but they'll make these queen cells, and that might trigger half the colony to fly away with the old queen. Oh, really? And then the new queen that emerges becomes the new head of that colony and stays in there with whatever bees are left over. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's how they reproduce. So that's, they split into oh, two. I see. And so they do that. It's nature doing its thing, so it's quite... So does that mean you could lose a whole colony yeah. of bees? Well, you lose... Yeah, you can do. You lose about half or right. 20,000 bees in one swarm, wow. but then they can keep on swarming. So you could end up depleting the whole hive into, you know, off in the trees and oh my God. rooftops around the city. Crazy. So you've got, to count, you've got to keep on top of it. So we try... You can do various things that trick the bees into thinking they've swarmed. Right. <laughs> and again, there's a million different ways you can do it that I won't bore you with now. Um, but if you do that, you trick them into thinking they've swarmed, which is basically you split the colony in two yourself. Yeah. Then hopefully the swarm impulse has stopped because they think they've already done it. Right. And then they'll just settle down into their new home and they won't leave. They'll just stay there and make some more honey. Yeah. Because we... I mean, we've, we've just spent about an hour mulling around the hives and stuff and they're they're quite gentle creatures aren't they like when you you were saying you've got to move quite slowly around them it's quite mesmerizing because they they kind of they'll fly all around your head and make their little buzzy noise but um it does it doesn't feel threatening at all I mean I'm not really scared of bees anyway but there's always that thing of you could be stung. Yeah. But yeah, they're quite, it's quite a gentle little... Yeah, and you, it, it'll depend on the manner of the beekeeper. Like yeah. you, if you go in there crashing around and smashing yeah. about, then you're going to agitate them and they might get a bit more aggressive. It's, if, you, if you turn up at the hive and you're very serene and gentle in your movements mm. and calm, it's almost like you, they don't know you're there. Yeah. And after as well, we puff them with the smoke. Oh, yeah, you did that smoke, which yeah, you so were telling me. What, what does that do? So that... Um, well, there's two things it does. It's sort of, I, they start, so we puff them with some smoke and they think yeah. their house is burning down or something and they stuff their faces with honey, <laughs> um, gorge themselves on it and they become a bit lethargic and less likely to, to sting. But yeah. it also, that smoke will mask any pheromones that they can give off that might say... Oh, like hey, a panic pheromone. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah might let's say, get out of here, yeah. Or they, they might say, attack this guy. He's, right. <laughs> he's nicking our food. Or, so it does, it does a couple of things. Yeah. Brilliant. Um... I've, there's been a lot of stuff in the press about bees, the bee populations dying off. I mean, what are you seeing just just on the ground? Um, well, today we've got this. We've got a virus in a couple of colonies, which is one of a myriad of problems bees can get. They get viruses, diseases. They get parasites. That you probably mm. heard of the varroa mite. Yeah, it's this mite that if it was on you, it'd be the size of a dinner plate. It's quite big in relation to the wow. bee, um, and that will sort of that can deplete a whole colony because yeah. those numbers will grow exponentially and they yeah. can end up killing a colony. So you can, you can keep those kind of things in check with treatments. Um, there's also uh, pesticide use. Right. You know, there's, 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 climate, you know, there's climate change. All these things compound with the, onto the bees to, to reduce their sort of immune system and they can be susceptible to all these viruses and diseases and that, that can kill them. But um, our bees have been pretty good. I think it's different in the, in London. They're doing quite well. Apparently, yeah. in London, there's also there's too many bees. Some people are saying. Really. Um, nationwide, I think there has been a decline. There's been a bit of a decline in, in beekeeping, and and globally, there's been a lot of bees dying. Yeah. But I think in things like places like the states where they might ship seventy odd percent of their bees to pollinate almonds, for instance, mm. you know the stresses of shipping bees cross country and moving them and feeding them sugar water to keep them going and moving them back somewhere else to pollinate something else. It can put a put a strain on the bees and stress yeah. them out and kill them yeah 
I mean, have you got any? What, what are your plans for the future? For, is it just to keep keep going or try and like set up other places or? Um, well, yeah. Well, my job now is mainly selling honey. So I've kind of <laughs> I've gone from being a five day a week beekeeper to doing it one day a week. And yeah. even that one day, I feel a bit guilty. Like I should be at a desk or I should be on the phone trying to sell <laughs> the honey. Um, so we're it's, the honey that we make in these hives is probably just going to be a limited edition. And we're, when it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. And we'll continue to work with other bee farmers buying in their honey and yeah. and selling that rather than upping up our yeah. beekeeping production. I think I think I was reading as well though that you because um, we we were tasting the honey and the the flavours of like the heather um, and the London honey, the um, the floral flavours were coming through so brightly and and the way that you um jar your honey is quite different is it because a lot of honey that you get on the shelf that we were saying just taste of sugars can be really yeah. heavily processed yeah so there's i think it's something like 10 percent of the honey sold in supermarket is british right. at the most Mo- crazy rest of it is imported and if you look on the back of jars it will generally say a blend of eu and non-eu honey really which essentially means anywhere in the world right so honey's brought in from anywhere in the world and who knows how those bees have been treated, how, what's happened to the honey to get to this point. And then the honey gets blended to a, to a flavour, to homogenise it, to make to it just, standard, yeah. um, almost to taste, almost like a, you put ingredients together so the honey tastes constant. Uh, I guess that's what they think people want. That's yeah. what people, maybe the people did used to want that. Whereas all we do with our honey is we, we put it through a sieve and it goes into the jar. So we really? don't <laughs> we don't blend it, we don't you know, make sure that it's one jar's the same as the yeah. next or that it's going to taste exactly the same from one year to the next. Whatever the bees have found. So the mm. London honey has got a very, almost like an elderflower quality yeah, to lovely. it. So citrusy. Um, and that might might taste slightly different next year. It might be less strong on the elderflower. It's because whatever flowers have produced that flavour aren't in such abundance. Yeah. So we just leave the bees to, to, to forage on whatever they find and then we leave it as is. So literally every single jar is good i mean not like but but every single hive is going to taste slightly different because of what that bees yeah buzzing around yeah, probably yeah and in london there are there are things like in, in this park right now there's ivy and earlier on in the year there was blackberries flowering yeah. which bees feed on and there's lime trees around which yeah. is another big uh, nectar source so there's things that will stay roughly constant yeah. in, the, in the honey but you know there might be someone's garden they might have planted something brand new there this year and that, the bees might have foraged on that yeah. and that might change the flavor slightly yeah, what what sort of plants should people plant in their garden if they want to attract bees? Like, and you'd ask me this. I'm rubbish at the plants. Oh, no. <laughs> so am I. Um, wildflowers are good because yeah. they're not just good for honeybees. They're good for other bees and other pollinators. Yeah. So you can buy um, wildflower mixes quite easily online. Oh, yeah, online. just the little and, seed mixes. And they're so easy to sow. Yeah. You just ch- chuck them in some rubbish soil and they, <laughs> they get going. Um, Lavender's a good one. Lots of mm. bees like lavender. I'm terrible at this. There are lots of resources online you can look it up and say yeah. what's good for bees. <laughs> and generally, like I say, there will be mixes that... Because honeybees are like the poster boy for bees in general and, and insects. Yeah. Um, it's not just honeybees that are, that are good. We need all those other bumblebees. pollinators and bumblebees and solitary bees and moths and butterflies. Mm. So you can get these seed mixes that will help all of those insects yeah. and keep the um, keep all those numbers in check because you were well. saying before there's quite a few different species of bees yeah i think there's there's about 250 bees and species in this country yeah uh, about 25 are bumblebees yeah one's a honeybee and the rest are solitary bees so 
The one that we all know, the one that makes the honey, there's only one of them out of 250. But the one that we normally see is probably the, the bumbler, isn't it? The big well, the, fat yeah, one. The big fluffy one, yeah. yeah I like, I like those. <laughs> I wish that, that I could look after bumblebees. They're my favourites. <laughs> does anybody kind of, I don't know, look at, does anyone have bumblebee Yeah, hives? I'm pretty sure that you can buy, I think they pollinate, is it strawberries? Yeah. I think, I think it's strawberries they might pollinate. But you can buy boxes, like, if it is strawberries, if I might have this wrong, <laughs> um, those farmers can buy bumblebee boxes and put them in their polytunnels and they'll offer the bees will go to pollinate Oh, fruit. because they do a job, don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, but you don't tend to have bumblebees in the same way as you do yeah. honeybees because their they're colonies are much smaller and they will disband at this yeah. time of year anyway. But the honeybees are definitely the hardest working oh, from yeah. what you said. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. They literally work themselves to death. yeah from the moment they're born, which is really sad. I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they do it as a team. That's the yeah. other amazing thing. They all work together to yeah. get this job done, you know. If it, one bee on its own would, would die straight away, but together they've created that home out of honeycomb, they've mm. stored it with food, they're, they're cleaning each other and feeding each other, and yeah. it's amazing. It's so cool. Um, and the solitary bees we were talking about there, they're the ones that just kind of go off on their own and, I don't know, do their own thing, but they yeah. don't live in... They don't live in in groups. No, I think that's hence the name. I think they they all the female will go and lay some eggs in like those yeah. bamboo hotel things you see around, and um, then she'll pack that full of food. Yeah, and then off she'll fly and leave that bee to emerge, eat the food, fly off and start Do start its own life cycle again. So, is it true that if a bee stings you, it then dies? Is that true? Yes. Well, <laughs> yes and no. They've got like a little barb on the end of their stinger yeah. that. When it goes into our skin, they can't get it out. So when they oh. try and pull it out, it rips off their bums, rips off their abdomen, and they, oh, they die. Yeah. Gross. But I have been stung by a bee that this stinger hasn't gone right. all the way in me, then it hasn't ripped its bum off. So did you? what did you pull the sting out? Yeah. Well, you, yeah, if, if you the bee dies, it. you can pull the sting out, you just sort of scrape it off, off your skin with your fingernail. If, was the bee still there? No, the bee had already gone. The sting oh, hadn't the come sting out this was, time. Oh, the sting hadn't come yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think... Bees can sting other bees or other insects over and over because their stinger doesn't get doesn't ripped get out. Caught. It's only on us, well, probably on other animals, I imagine, the horse or something. You'd probably... And they're just doing it as like a, it's defence really, isn't yeah. it? Because as you said, they don't, they don't really want to sting No, you. and if you're going to die in the process, it's going to be a last, last call, isn't it? Last, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're not going to do that too often. If you're going to die, well, you do it once and that's it. <laughs> that's brilliant. Oh, Thank you so much for coming to chat to us today. It's Pleasure. been fascinating. Thank you for showing me around all the beehives. And uh, yeah, I want to come back at some yeah, point. Come back in the summer when it's uh, warmer. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Chris. Pleasure. So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our November issue now on the newsstand or go download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink charts.